Nakedly Examined Music needs your support. Please go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic and sign up for a small recurring contribution to keep the music flowing. And using Patreon's feed of this podcast will ensure you never have to hear any commercials ever. Thanks! You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Lintenmeyer. For more information about this podcast, please see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. My guest for episode 101 is the cellist Allison Chesley, who plays under the moniker Helen Money. You're right now listening to New History by her old band Verbo. This is from the Whiteout album from 2000. We're going to be discussing two songs from her 2016 album, Become Zero. First the title track, and then Vanish Star. Then we'll look back a little bit to the 2013 Arriving Angels album and discuss the song Beautiful Friends. Finally, we're going to turn to one of her many collaborations. The song is called For My Father. It's credited to Jarbo and Helen Money from the album For My Father from 2015. For more information, check HelenMoney.com. I will have played a little bit of New History by Verbo from Whiteout 2000 to get us started, but we're going to be focusing on your solo cello albums here. Do you want to give us a little background. I know you've recorded four of those. The first one was 2007, but you'd been going since 1994 or so with Jason and Allison that became Verbo. Tell us a little about that journey from playing in a duet in a rock band, you know, Bob Mould producing, etc., to where you are now. It's kind of a long story. I mean, I first started playing with Jason in 93, I guess, when we put our first album out in 94 as a duo At the same time, I was in grad school. I was kind of planning on going on to doctoral school and eventually teaching. In the 80s, I had, when I grew up in L.A., I had been going to lots of shows, all different kinds, you know, Minutemen, Meat Puppets, a lot of the SST bands, The Who, mostly rock and kind of punk and stuff like that. That was stuff I loved. In the meantime, I went back to school to see if I could get a degree, have some kind of career playing my cello. So while I was at grad school, I met Jason at a coffee house we were both working at. He asked me to play with him at a show he was doing. He had just disbanded his band and was doing stuff on his guitar, pretty aggressive, kind of like uh, Bob Mould's workbook stuff. And in fact, he was covering some of that stuff. So I said, okay, sure. And as soon as we started to play together, we realized we really enjoyed it. And I loved playing that kind of music. So I kind of realized this was what I wanted to do. Especially after Bob expressed an interest in working with us, I kind of had to make a choice. I basically decided I wasn't going to get this opportunity again. So that was the last time I seriously played classical music. You know, I go back to it, but, you know, I've kind of been deep in the rock world ever since, like, 93, 94. You know, Jason and I put out a duet record, and then we put out two records with bass and drums as for Bo. That stopped. We decided that we wanted to take a break from that. And I still wanted to play that kind of heavy, intense music. And I realized the only way I was going to be able to do that was to just write it myself because the opportunities, especially then for string players in rock music, were, you know, basically kind of the frosting on the cake type of stuff. And I was not interested in that. So that's how I started. You know, I got a four track. I started writing parts from scratch. And pretty soon I had enough material, I thought I'd put it on a record. 
that's kind of where it started for me doing the solo thing. And I really enjoyed it. Playing with Jason, I kind of became a rock musician, even though I was playing the cello. So that's just kind of what I did on my instrument. Yeah, let's get an example out here. So Become Zero, the title track of the recent album Become Zero from 2016. You want to say a little about that before we play it, and then we'll talk more in depth about it. That track was me coming up with different textures and putting them over each other and working with them together. I had been interested in working with drums and piano for a while. I, the record before this, I had introduced those elements, so both those are here. My boyfriend, Mike, often comes up with drum ideas for me, and I kind of edit them, and then I bring in, in this case, Jason Roeder, to perform it. Right, so we got this kind of hard-driving, train-running riff that starts it off and that runs through the whole song. That was the genesis of it? Was this riff? Or tell a little how you're layering this, how you're putting these together. I think I came up with that riff as just really distorted. And then I came up with another element, and I just 
realized they worked together. And then I wrote a piano melody underneath. And then the drums, I knew I wanted drums on it. So that was more fitting the drums into what I already had. So it's a pretty simple song. Well, there's that time signature element. So, I mean, it's basically in three. But then at this distortion part, it sounds like the drums are in 4-4. So for a while it's da 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 you know he's doing like a two beat thing and then it turns into four beats just you know a little bit after that so it's like four over three there it's a pretty cool that's not a conscious decision but I love that stuff I love meters against each other I find that super interesting I didn't set out to go I want to put a duple against this triple <laughs> I just like I just kind of felt it and often it's interesting when I work with other players they're feeling it in a way I'm not feeling it at all. You know, it's kind of funny, but I don't know. I like that about when music's like that and it has these different rhythmic dimensions to it. Well, it's a lot different if the beat is kind of slow like that because then, you know, the point is it's really in one. I mean, it's bum, 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 bum. And like, it doesn't really matter if the ultimate measure is you're turning around after three or you're turning after four. Like, that's still in there. It's not like bum, bum. Boom, boom, boom. It's not like you're throwing in, you know, an eighth in there to screw things up and make it, you can still headbang through the whole thing, <laughs> whatever time signature you want to think of it as. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want people to think about the time signature when I hear it. I want them to just feel something. And I want to feel something when I write. So I never want to write something, you know, to be clever or, you know, I, that, that stuff, I feel like when I hear stuff like that, I, it doesn't move me. You've definitely got a dedication toward the drone. I think all three songs that we're playing today, the chord really doesn't change, which gives it some extra power that it's like it's too heavy to change. It's too heavy to fundamentally move to the five or something. Like it's got to just stay there. That's at least what it sounds like to me. Okay, cool. It's really interesting to hear you talk about stuff like that. Like I said, I don't think about it consciously. I like that song a lot. I feel like it's very intense and driving and unrelenting, and I like that about it. Yeah, let's talk a little about the layering. So just a little after that, 42 seconds in or so, you've got this. I'd written horns. Obviously, it's not horns, but it's another cello part that is engineered differently. Just what is let's establish something that's giving you a very, very slow melody on top of the driving constant thing. So that's just an overdub, right? It might be the piano. It might be another. I've got two different distortions going on there and a delay. So I'm not sure what the one is that you're hearing, but there's a very slow piano melody that's going back and forth. I think that's right. Because, yeah, then the piano you know, becomes clearly piano later when more stuff drops out. But it's a very thick texture there. Are you thinking about how you're going to do this live? <laughs> or is this something you can create something like this using the looping that I, when I saw you live, you were doing a lot of delay pedal sort of looping. I could obviously see how in this one you could do and then set that going on a loop and then that would free you up to play some of the variations. When I recorded that record, I thought about that. Like, how am I going to pull this off? And... Uh, my boyfriend, Mike, who's a really accomplished musician, and he's produced a lot of records, he's like, you know what, 
just make a great record. And I think he's right. I figured it out how to play it live. I mean, I thought I'm never going to be able to play that song live, and I figured it out. So I like playing songs that are minimal and that maybe I just write without using my software program. But I also think it's okay to kind of go for it and write something big. And then maybe when you perform it, it's just a little different. And some of the effects, so a minute and a half in, where the distorted cello drops out and you've got this drum-driven, it's like the reverb is a performer here. So I can't even really tell how many notes you're playing on the piano. Like you just have the sustain pedal down and you're kind of peeking here and there, but like the piano is just reverberating from what you've been doing to it for the past little while. I like that kind of soupy stuff, notes sustaining into each other on the piano. Are you thickening it more during the mix? You're like, that's not quite soupy enough. Let's crank the reverb up. (laughs) I don't get down into the weeds as far as mixing I know what I want this song to sound like, and I'm very particular about that. But like, for instance, Will is an amazing engineer and producer, and he was able to take like a sound like that and make it even more of what I wanted, what I was hearing in my head. So I don't tell him, hey, would you put some reverb on that? Or I like working with people that I can kind of trust and are coming from the same place as me, so I can kind of let them bring what they do to it, and we're both on the same page. So I'm good with getting down in the weeds with writing, and right now I like having the other person there to help me put it on a record, you know? I completely understand that in terms of how the instruments mix together. Let me play the very end of the song. So this is definite, you made the compositional choice here, I'm going to have a fast stop, but the fact that you've got the reverb again there as an extra instrument, let's just hear how it goes here. Like, that's a big explosion of reverb that lasts quite a while. Yeah, that's Will Thomas. Yeah, I love that. That you felt like, even though the gesture you had composed was, we're going to have a basically overdub an explosion. (laughs) It's kind of what the effect is there. The thing with Will, I'm also almost done recording another record, working with both Will and this guy out here, Sanford Parker, is I trust them. I like to see what they're going to do. That was Will. And I loved it. When I go in the studio, I go in knowing that the person who's going to help me produce the record has some ideas. They're going to bring themselves to it. Are some of the changes more radical? There's a song on this uh, machine that I had suggested that you did not want to talk about. Was that because you did your part and then it went into the studio land and things, magic things happened to it that you weren't even involved with? No, I'm very much in control of the whole, all the parts. And I know what I want as far as how this, the structure of the song, how I want things to sound to a certain extent. But that song, I just, I don't feel an attachment to it. I like it, but you know, I don't feel like it doesn't evoke a real strong feeling in me. It's a cool song, but the other songs I'm more attached to and I have more feelings about. I um, I also don't play that one live really. So that's the reason I didn't want to really discuss it. I didn't feel like it would be as interesting to talk about. (laughs) Let's get one of those that you were more attached to out here. Vanished Star, another one from the same album. 
there's again a drone of some sort, but it's played very differently. It's sort of a low bass rumble sustained. The main cello is playing a very different role, a more traditionally cello sounding role, as opposed to a 16th note wash of distortion and reverb that we heard in the first one. This one was really hard for me to figure out, and it just came together at the end before I even went into the studio when I was writing it. I think I came up with a bridge last, and I felt like once I had that, and actually the ending, then I felt like I had a song. I wanted something where you could really just hear that it was a cello, and the delay plays a part in it because the notes kind of rub against each other because the delay is still going. I'm going to another note, but the old notes is reverberating. The drone thing, I had an idea for a drone, but Will came up with another one that was way more interesting. All the other sounds on the cello on the record that aren't me are actually the cello, but Will has processed them through either a modular synth or sequencing or or pedals. So yeah, he came up with that, that drone sound.
All right, so you got a very much more structured song, distinct parts that you've established the drone, you introduce this nice, simple riff, and then it becomes a duet later, and then it becomes a, a different kind of thing with you know the piano. In what order do the elements come in something like this, right? Was it, we're going to have a drone over G, it's going to be something, and then that, that first riff, is that the origin of the song here? Like, I think I probably came up with that drone. And when I write, I kind of just searching for sounds that evoke something in me, like a feeling or a, you know, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like that. So I probably came up with a drone and then I just played around and I found a melody, that opening melody. And then I don't honestly remember how I came up with a bridge. When I was in Verbo, we were playing songs that were very structured, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. So I kind of think that way a lot. I'm trying to write stuff that's not that way. I'm trying to get away from that a little bit. But this song would be an example of something like that. Maybe it was the last section with the piano that came together. It was really hard. I didn't want to write something too sentimental. I'm okay with beautiful, but I didn't want it to be sappy. But I think I got right up to the edge there. So you're talking about, let, let, yeah, let me play this part. It's about 2.42 in where it breaks into a nice, relatively jaunty, compared to the rest of the song, waltz here. So that's the bridge you're referring to, the, where it gets very pretty. That's the end. It's not a bridge. The bridge is a really heavy part before that. I have to say, Will's drone is a big part of this song. And when I play live, I recorded his drone so I can play with it. Um, I think it really pulls the song together. It's not purely a drone that there's, there's some rhythm to it. And that was another one where, you know, I was kind of counting like, okay, what is, what is this drone? Let's just hear the very, very beginning here and turn it up loud. So there's some articulation in the bass or whatever he's doing. You say that low sound is he's taken some of your cello and he's processing it. Is that right? Probably through his modular synthesizer. He's a master at that. It's amazing. He, uh, then on the new record, I've got a couple things of that he did. It's just amazing. You would never know it was. I mean, maybe you could tell it was a synth. I mean, it almost sounds like an electric bass that, and it's playing something that's very fast and very light. And it actually is, again, in 4 4, whereas then you come in and it's one, two, rest, one, two, you know, so that you're doing a 3 4 thing right from the beginning. So we again have this interesting overlap there. Yeah, not a conscious decision, but I love how they fit together. And am I right that, so the second verse where the first cello is playing again, it's the same part, right? And then you're doing an echoing second cello. Do you do that live as a loop? I don't remember if you did this one when I saw you. I don't loop that. I have a long delay on it. So I'm kind of able to kind of mimic it a little bit. Same kind of vibe, not the part exactly. So I play the first note and that's kind of repeating while I go to the second part. Yeah, so it's got some of the same effect so in the third verse, the third time it does that, you've got the two cellos together, but you have a delay on at least one of them. So you've got extra notes. 
Well, that's not that. That's just that you've got the piano, everything is dropped out that you've got this piano riff while the instrument is the delay pedal that's been turned on the distorted cello that was going before. Is that what we're hearing? Is the after effects? Are you playing new notes there? Yeah. So you always write initially on cello or do you write some of these on piano? I don't think anything on that record. I I didn't start on piano on the new record. I've got one song that's only piano. I don't actually, I don't know if that'll make the record, but usually I'll start it on the cello. Usually. So was the piano just a, like, I'm in music school and everybody has to take piano in addition to your real instrument? Or was that something that you've been playing on since you were a kid as well? I played it because I had to, it's like a piano skills class in undergrad. I just did the bare minimum so I could pass. I play piano. I mean, I couldn't read a very basic, I don't know, Suzuki book one piano. I just kind of do block chords for the most part. Maybe I can do a melody. It's more like a texture. Yeah, my piano skills are extremely limited. So the parts I write are, are real simple. That's convenient given your aesthetic that even the cello parts, you yeah. can play very fast and flowery stuff. But what you're shooting for is not that. Does it seem like if you're stuffing too many notes in one little area, then that's where it gets sappy or it loses the feeling visceral thing that you seem to be going for throughout. I've never been comfortable for whatever reason or probably never really been a fan of really flashy solos or, you know, that kind of virtuosic playing. I'm more into the real rhythmic, visceral, simpler stuff. Have you been asked to do any like ELO kind of fast symphonic stuff sounding the sessions you've been doing? No, usually the the sessions I've done are bands that don't really have that kind of you know, if when they ask for strings, that's kind of not what they're looking for. Yeah, I was listening to you playing on one of the recent Anthrax albums that you can very much hear the parallel. In fact, the, the song that we're going to play next, Beautiful Friends, that could be on an Anthrax album in certain ways. The way that you're picking the main cello pattern sound very electric guitarish. I like a lot playing with a pick on my instrument. I love that sound, especially with the distortion it's really cool. The cello's so big, you know, it can sound really massive with a pick. Yeah, well, let's get that third one out there. It's got some of the same tricks. The beginning of the song sounds like a real cello, just like as you were describing what you were going for with the melody on the last one. And in fact, the drone in here, such that there is one, is in C, right? Just your lowest open string, which is sort of the default, I would think, if you're jamming on <laughs> cello. I detuned my instrument on this one, so... It's not straight fifths on the cello, it's C, G, D flat, A flat. So that kind of gives it a real cool, like if I strum the cello with that tuning, it's a really cool sound. So that gives this song some of that texture. So this is from the previous album, Arriving Angels 2013. you want to say a little about the evolution between those two, or you're trying to do back at this point that's different maybe from what you're doing more recently? Let's see, I was in L.A. for both those records. I had moved back there. I grew up in Los Angeles and I moved to Chicago in 92. And then I moved, my boyfriend and I moved back to LA in 2010. So I was there when I wrote both Arriving Angels and Become Zero. So I think Arriving Angels, I had gotten some new pedals. I recorded Arriving Angels with Steve Albini. That's one thing that makes that record different is I was recording to tape. So that kind of limited my choices often in a really cool way. Of course, I love Steve's as an engineer and the sounds he gets on the cello. That album has more of a raw sound to it. Become Zero, I was working with Will, 
in his studio, I was going for more of a polished sound. I think I had more options because we were doing it digitally. That would probably be the main difference between those two records.
All right, so this one has quite a journey in it, almost five minutes long here. So you're starting with the exposed cello. We're going to show this tuning that you do these little semi-arpeggiated parts, but then it goes several places. Drums come back. We have some really quite minimalist metal part that I was referring to where the drum is answering with its its riff, and but you're playing this riff for quite a while. Tell a little about the structure here. You know, you actually have three minutes in, it slows down a little bit. So there's some definite movement here. Would something like this be based on an improvisation as you're writing it? Yeah, I never do that because my stuff's more riff-oriented. But maybe I'll try that in the future. I'm curious about that way of writing. I know a lot of musicians do that. But I liked that sound of the cello, the bowed thing. I thought that was sounded so cool. And then playing along with notes that kind of rub against it, but with a different texture, you know, where I'm plucking and it's distorted. And then just going to the strums. And then the drum part, I think Mike, my boyfriend, gave me, I told him kind of what I had in mind. He gave me a part that he had come up with, and then I kind of chopped it up and, and fit it in. Sometimes it feels like what I do is so intuitive. It's kind of like, wow, okay, that works. <laughs> And then the hardest part for me on this one was the end. I had come up with another element where I have that repeated G, and I never thought it really worked well. And then one day I thought, you know, I think this is okay. I think it works. And then when I went in the studio, my friend Dennis Luxian, who was a pianist, a really good jazz pianist, he's actually a friend of my boyfriend Mike's, he came in because I wanted him to play a couple piano things on another song. And Steve said, hey... Dennis, why don't you try playing piano on the end of this? And Dennis just came up with these beautiful chords, really simple but interesting over the end, that are like probably my favorite part of the song. So anyway, that's kind of how that song came together. Yeah, at the very end of the song, I heard this, like I almost thought it was, you know, if you're recording tape, that he was just speeding it up slightly because the pitch just keeps floating north. Maybe, let me just play that section and see if we're talking about the same thing here. That's still just you, and this is not the piano foot-through distortion or something. Actually, that's me. I'm just sliding my finger up the fretboard. Oh, okay. So so it's much, much simpler than I thought. But just the fact that it has this reverb and stuff that, you know, that creates an interesting, just to end, instead of just, we're ending with bleakness, no, that we create this extra dissonance that you're sliding up a little bit that just sounds like it's going out of tune slightly, or, you know, you're doing the tremolo bar there. Yeah, and the part I was talking about is earlier, you can actually hear Jason Roeder play some cymbals, and then the piano comes in with these chords over the end. That's the part I was referencing. There's piano in there that has similar distortion to you? No distortion, but he's just playing these really interesting chords over the end. I didn't write that, he just came up with that. Oh, I see. Okay. It's mixed so subtly, it's just being used as a thickener, but it does add a nice little extra depth to add a few more notes in it. So much of this song is minimalist in the heavy metal sort of way, that you're just going back between C and the tritone, the devil's note, 
the sharp fifth for a while during that part about two minutes in i mean it's really only the drums that are giving the variety here that it's really you're getting to this meditative state Is it just purely intuitive? Do you have any way of, that you think in particular about the relationship between the opening part? It's a little more free-flowing. Then we're going to lock into this metal sort of riff. You know, it's a similar tonality, obviously. You're not even doing a full chord. It, you know, it's not obvious that that would be the next thing in the song from a listening standpoint. I don't know why I did that. I guess I just was hearing it. I'm sorry, it's kind of a lame answer, but... Your opening was something raw and exposed. It's sort of already at an ultimate point right from the start. What could you do to move it forward? Well, just turn on the distortion pedal, enter into some other zone, you know, have drums come clattering over it. Like that's the only way to get when you start at such a strong point right at the very beginning. Like you could definitely hear the beginning of that song in a different context as like something that doesn't come in for quite a while that you start off very quiet and it's building up and then eventually, you know, it sounds like a climax, but it's the rock and roll way. You start with the climax. You don't necessarily have to wait for it. I don't know if a lot of my songs open that way. I tend to have kind of a slow build, you know, so it's nice to play a song like that. You're definitely not thinking of this in terms of, again, verse, chorus, or anything like that. It's just, it's a piece. It moves to the next section. I'm probably thinking of a structure. I'm sure when I wrote it, I was like, hey, what happens next? What's this section about? I wasn't thinking freeform. I wanted something different to happen at the end. So it didn't sound all the same. It probably isn't verse, chorus kind of thing. I was surprised with all these songs, you know, when I was counting them out, especially with Become Zero, like, oh, these are just four measure chunks or eight measure chunks. Like the structure is very clear, even though it kind of sounds like this could just float anywhere. You know, it has the three over the four and, but no, you can kind of predict, you know, if you're listening close, okay, it's been eight measures now. A new thing has to happen. It's been another four measures, a new, you know, so it's very predictable in a good way in that respect, which means then when you do come in with something, we're going to introduce a new part here on the two of the measure that it really is surprising. Then when you throw things for a loop, that you've established something that seems like it's going to be predictable. I want to say something new. I don't want to say it just for the sake of saying it. You know, I want it to make sense. But I am trying to push myself when I write. I'm trying to find new things to say and new ways to say them, you know. I feel like that's important. I want to grow as a writer and a player. I mainly want people to feel like they're connecting with the music in some way that I'm communicating something to them. That's probably the most important thing to me, you know, and then I think I have my own standards for myself as a musician and a composer. Do you think specifically about what mood this is supposed to have, or is it just, it's its own thing? You know, they're all kind of dark, (laughs) all these that we played. This one in particular, the way that the drone is treated, because it's not like a drone's running in the background, it's just the tonic that you keep returning towards. So whatever you do with it, like it has to eventually go crashing back down to that thing. That's what makes it emotionally connect is that you hook on to this low note. In some ways, it's kind of limiting. It very much controls how crazy the melody can get. Like as as high as you could get, it has to come back down to that. This one in particular, it sounds like the gravity is turned up to Jupiter level or something. That there's no high, airy, wispy part. 
would be very easy if you were to ship this off to a techno person or something. Like this is your basic part that they could layer stuff and really fill it out so that even when you do piano parts, like they're kind of locked into the same basic range that the cello's in. I'm not hearing a lot of on any of your albums little high string parts that are whether played on you uh, through the synth, even if it's something you were playing, but you know things that are higher than the cello could itself play. No, you're right. I tend to hear things in that kind of human voice range. And I think that's where the cello, that's its, you know, money range. <laughs> that and the low, the low stuff. I should actually push myself to write stuff that's higher. There's actually one piece on the new record that Will wrote a beautiful modular part and I wrote some very high stuff too. And that is very textural though. It's not a lot of moving notes. This might be a, a good way to transition to the, the last thing we're going to play. So I just wanted something to represent of the fact that you're not just playing solo now. Well, I know that in your Chicago days, it says on your wiki page that you're on over 100 albums on Poi Dog Pondering and many other bands here, Broken Social Scene. I did some string arrangement for the Russian Circles record. I played on with a quartet on some mono, four mono records already. Yeah. Taka's written, the the guitar player wrote those parts. But, you know, between Soma, uh, which was John, I'm forgetting his last name now, in Tortoise, that was his studio, and then Steve Albini's Electrical, you had all these rock bands coming here. And so when they needed string players, I was fortunate enough to be one of the ones they asked. So, you know, it's pretty great. It was a really special time. It's still going on to a certain extent, but not as much as it was then. Yeah, so we had an exception here that you did a whole duet album with Jarbo. So I was going to play the For My Father from the Jarbo and Helen Money album from 2015, which it starts off with you doing a two-part cello thing, more or less, but then, oh, okay, so if we want something with high, you know, that thickens up the texture, just add different players. Like that's, yeah. so we've got very high vocals, this very reverby, high keyboard part, and uh, this one, it's co-credited to the two of you, right? It's not just you being pulled on a session stuff. This is her song. She wrote it, and I wrote, to it. So, you know, it really, that's nice she credited. I mean, I wrote my parts basically to this one. So I was just trying to write something that fit into what her mood, the mood of the song and her voice. All right. So we'll play that in a minute here. Just before we cut off here, can we sum up a little of what, uh, so when I just saw you live earlier in March here, you had some fresh pieces that were very gimmick free, right? Who knows what they'll look like when you get to recording them. I recall them being very raw and, and very pretty. Oh, yeah, thanks. And then we're doing a lot of the looping stuff, as well as some of the songs that we've heard here, you know, that you have your pre-recorded piano and or drums. So the show did not get boring. There was a, a one, a, a solo cello show. Does not sound it like it will have a tremendous amount, you know, unless you're Yo-Yo Ma or something. But given your tastes in focused mood-oriented stuff. There, I, there was still quite a lot of variety, I thought, even just the techniques the techniques you were using. Thank you. Have you been doing solo touring throughout this process? You didn't use the looping on the recording, so you just you know make the recording to sound like the recording. Who cares how much you have to overdub and then figure out how I'm going to get it live? But is, are these techniques that you're, by necessity, having to use just to be able to play it out by yourself, are those then feeding back into the next recording project? Yeah, I'm sure it feeds on itself. Your pedals affect 
how you write and then how you write affects what pedals you get, I suppose. Yeah. If, I, is that what you're, you're asking? Well, yeah. And I, we haven't really even talked about equipment. I know when I've tried to use distortion pedals on acoustic guitar and things like say something about the process of how you are narrowing down, like what actually sounds good and it's not feeding back like hell or is feeding back in the way you want it to feed back. I've been doing it such a long time. You know, I uh, played in a band with drums and bass. And so I don't know how we worked that out. We somehow did. <laughs> so you were like the, basically the lead guitarist in that band, right? Yeah. And a lot of rhythm. I had some solos, but not a lot. You know, it was more like a textural thing. Just a wall of sound kind of thing is what we're going for. Well, that's what I prefer in lead guitar anyway. That's kind of what I meant. Not that you're uh, Eddie Van Halening it, but that you're providing the key texture that Jason's guitar that would complement him. Right, and, and I'm writing along with his voice or complimenting mm-hmm. his vocals. So I think one thing that's important is standing between me and the amp. I don't have the amp cranked really loud. I'm not in the monitors. So kind of I've worked it out so that my feedback isn't out of control. And also the sound person really helps. If they know what they're doing, you can control. So, you know, I like playing through a regular old cello. I don't like playing through an electric instrument. I like the sound of the air moving through the instrument. And I like the sound of my cello. So I'm pretty committed to making sure that I can perform that way that I'll make it work. We can't leave without pointing out to the listeners that you play standing up. So it's it's not what they've been picturing all along. What about when you record? Do you at least sit down when you record? There's something about sitting down. I don't know. I um, I don't want people to think this is a classical concert, you know. And also, I think when I was playing with bands, I felt like no one could see me. I'm not playing incredibly complicated parts, so it's not hard to stand. Um, it's probably not great for my back, you know, but I feel also uh, physically I'm able to get into it a little bit more if I'm standing. So I will not walk around with my cello. I I cannot go there. I feel like that's just a bridge too far. But <laughs> Put your end pin on a little caster, a little wheel. <laughs> no, no, that's not happening. <laughs> Did you have to get a special end pin so it would go high enough or you're, it's, you're not that tall? It's... <laughs> You know, I'm not that tall. Yeah, most end pins go out. It's all the way at the end pretty much, but yeah. Uh-huh. Well, neat. So yeah, is this Jarbo one we're about to play, are you doing other collaborations, other things with singer-songwriter? Are you still doing that as a main part of your output, or are you mostly concentrating on your solo stuff? Mostly doing solo. I would like to, at some point, have other people to play with. It's hard, though, you know, at, at my level, and I'm very fortunate, but it's still, it's hard to get people to commit to tour with you, to even play shows with you. I feel like so many musicians are busy doing their own thing, you know. So I want to bring people into what I'm doing to record for sure and maybe do some live shows. But I think for the most part, I'm pretty content having it just be me. Well, I saw on your first album you wrote, one of the songs had the perhaps joking title, Political Song for Michael Jackson to Sing. Like, do you have in mind as you're doing some of these, like what a singer might do, you know, that you're being the uh, Jimmy Page and that uh, a Robert Plant might come and overdub some lyrics or something? That's not my song, Mark. That's a Minuteman song. So you don't have to take responsibility for the unfortunate title at this point anyway. So. I love the title and the lyrics. They're great. It's a great song that I, I wanted to do a cover by them. So that's what that is.
gotcha. I need to study my Minutemen slightly more. Oh, yeah. They were amazing. You know, the lead singer, Dee Boone, he, unfortunately, he died a while ago. But yeah, it was a trio. They were, they were amazing. And they were from San Pedro. So we're, when I, in the 80s, when I was going to shows, they were playing out a lot. So I got to see them live quite a bit. They were so unique in what they did. And what they did was so powerful. They were just themselves. Like, I've never seen anyone else like them. So, uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for what they did. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. All right, here's For My Father by Jarbo and Helen Money. So long.
justice perish. Embrace amnesty. Thanks so much to Allison. Very interesting stuff. And she's played with a lot of very, very cool musicians. I'll put up links to some of her many studio projects and collaborations in the blog post accompanying this at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. My next interview will be with John Andrew Frederick, who has long fronted a band called The Black Watch. Very cool songs in the tradition of The Cure and The Church. Nice guitar textures. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll support us. Check out patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. I hope you've been having a good summer. I took more than a month off of my release schedule here, partially because I've launched a third podcast called Pretty Much Pop. It covers all things entertainment. So if you want to hear me and some friends talk about TV shows and eventually music, we'll even get some Nakedly Examined Music guests on there. But I'm very excited about that project. Check it out at prettymuchpop.com. I do have three other interviews for this podcast already recorded and another scheduled, but the release schedule may remain somewhat sporadic until I can get consistent advertising or until many, many more of you support us on Patreon. Thanks so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me at mark at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. As an outro here, I'm going to play another chunk of political song from Michael Jackson to sing. That's that Minutemen cover from her 2009 solo album, In Tune. Keep on musicin'. Until next time, this is Mark Clintonmeyer signing off. <laughs>